Unexpected Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Last week, we began a series entitled Unexpected Jesus. Uh, the genesis of the idea came from a song. The song was called Shadow Step. And in the song, it talks about how that we are to fix our hearts to yours and we're to fix our eyes on the unexpected, ready to see what you'll do next, ready to take that next step, ready to walk in the wonder of your shadow step. So take another step. And throughout the song, it talks about how that there's a readiness that we're to have to step into the unexpected because that's a part of what Christian life is. And we're to walk in your shadow step. So what we do is we wait to see where God moves and then we step along in that direction. And oftentimes, he waits till we're ready. And then when we're ready, we say, let's take, a, let's take another step. Well, as I heard that song and I began to listen to the lyrics, he kept coming back to the word unexpected. And so it took me to the scripture, and as I looked more and more, I realized that there were a lot of times when Jesus just showed up unexpected, to where he did unexpected things, and he showed up at unexpected places. And so through this series, we are looking at uh, the actual events recorded in scripture, recorded in the gospels of Jesus and, um, and his unexpected places. And so today is a day in which we, we pick up on an unexpected place and an invitation. And in fact, we call this unexpected invitations and acceptances because in this passage of Scripture, you're going to see two unexpected invitations, and then at the same time, you're going to see two unexpected acceptances of those invitations. And Jesus is in a city in Capernaum, which is right there on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, he has just finished talking and teaching in this room, in this home. And uh, people don't know if they remember all the words that he said while he was speaking, but they'll never forget what happened in the midst of his talk. And that is that four friends had a, had a, had a, paral, a paralytic friend, one who could not walk on his own. And so they said, he just needs to get to Jesus. I believe Jesus could heal him. And when they brought him, the room was so full, they couldn't get him into the room. And so they went up some steps to the roof, and they carried him up there, and then they took the roof apart and then took some ropes, and they lowered him down right there where Jesus was speaking. And so while everyone is sort of aghast as what's happening, Jesus looks at this man and he sees the faith of this man and of his friends and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then a lot of the religious elites back there and said, well, who are you to say that sins are forgiven? And Jesus picked up on this. And he said, he said, well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and go home. So he looked at the man, he says, hey, take up your bed, you're healed. Go on and walk and join your friends and head on home. And that's exactly what he did. And there was a buzz about the whole place. And when you look at verse 26, it says, we have seen extraordinary things today. That's what the people said. We have seen extraordinary things today. But before you get to verse 27, there's like you could almost intersperse a little comment and said, hey, but something unexpected is getting ready to happen. Something unexpected. And this is where it starts. And it starts in verse 27. And it says, and after this, he, Jesus, went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, 
tax collector Levi, or as Evelyn said, a.k.a. Matthew. Now, uh, throughout Scripture, when he's listed as a disciple, his name is Matthew, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But uh, after this, he went out, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We have seen extraordinary things. And then all of a sudden, you pick up the next story and it says there's a tax collector named Levi. Now, sitting there at his booth. Let me give you a little bit of, of discussion about two different types of tax collectors during that time. Won't be technical on it. One set of tax collectors, you could almost call them the behind the scenes tax collectors. These were the ones who mainly were in the office and there were specific assessments that everybody had. Income tax, uh, poll tax that you had. So you had your income tax, your poll tax, and your property taxes. These were assessed. You would pay those taxes and these were the people sitting behind the scenes that would handle all those transactions. There was not uh, a lot of um, corruption in there. Most of those things were fixed. They were the behind the scenes guys. But then there was a second group of tax collectors, and that was the face-to-face -face ones. Those were the ones that had their booths that were there in the midst of the city, and uh, they would be the ones that would put taxes on import goods, export goods. They would set tolls on roads and bridges. Uh, they would do taxes on your beast of burden. They'd put a tax on your wagon. You name it, they could tax it. And this was the group to where there was corruption. Because what would happen is that the Romans would come to the Israel people and they would say, bid on this job. And as they would bid on the job, then the high, high bidder was the one that got the job. And what he would do is he would give a great amount of money to the, to the Romans and then he could turn around and levy about whatever taxes he wanted to. And he would try to pay, levy as much tax as he could against his own people so that he could make as much money as possible. Making a lot of money for the Roman Empire, making a lot of money for himself. And so he would overcharge people left and right. And this resulted in the tax collector being the most hated person in all of Jewish society. People just did not like these guys. And the more I read about it, they said they were the worst of the worst. They were the most despised in Israel. They were vilified and hated in all of Jewish society. Well, isn't that a special job uh, to have on there? You say, why did people hate them so much? Well, they hated them so much because they're making all of this money and they're padding the Roman coffers and at the same time padding their own expense accounts and their own bank accounts. And because they worked for the Roman government, these, the Jewish people felt that they were traitors. Because they were uh, overtaxing them, they felt that they were robbers. And because they did a lot of work with Gentiles, they looked at them as being ceremonially unclean and religiously unclean. 
So they're traitors, they're robbers, they're unclean. In fact, when you look in the New Testament and it talks about them, they are always gathered together with groups such as uh, prostitutes, uh, evildoers, robbers, and tax collectors. That's the group that they were included in. And they were so vilified in their community that they could not even go to court to be a witness. They were so vilified that they could not even go to the synagogue. They could not even give a sacrifice for their sins. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. And so as a tax collector, when you agreed to this job, you pretty much had cut yourself off from your own people and you'd also cut yourself off from God. But hey, the money was good. And so they were able to make a lot of money, but they didn't make a whole lot of friends outside of their own circle. And so when you see Jesus walking by and seeing a tax collector, you see that this is one of the most despised men in the whole community there in Capernaum. And it said in the scripture that he was sitting at the tax booth. That was a normal day for him. So he went to work. He got up that morning. He packed his lunch. He came. He went. He sat at his booth. He's doing his work like he always does. And as he's doing his work, it then said that Jesus went out and saw Levi. And that word saw is a word that means that it was like contemplative look. It's not like he just walked by and he saw him. It was like he walked by and he, he saw him. He just kind of looked at him. And then as he looked at him, he said the most unexpected thing that Matthew could have imagined and anybody standing around him could have imagined. And here was the unexpected invitation. The unexpected invitation was to follow Jesus. He says, follow me. Jesus at the time was looking for followers, looking for those that he could pour his life into. And he'd already gotten those four fishermen. He had Peter, and he had Andrew, and James, and John. And if you look in the book of John, he's got Philip, he's got Nathaniel, and Philip's from that area, and Nathaniel is over in Canaan, a little bit west. And so he's building this gathering of followers, and he's out looking for people to put on his team. And he goes by, and he sees Matthew, and he says, follow me. That means go down the same road that I'm going. Join with me. Just go the same way with me. Follow me. The unexpected invitation, you say, why was it unexpected? It was unexpected due to Matthew's despised lifestyle. It was unexpected due to Matthew's despised lifestyle. As I just told you, nobody liked a tax collector except for the other tax collectors. He was despised, he was vilified in society, and here comes Jesus all of a sudden, and he asked him, will you follow me? Now, I... I'm just stepping out over here doing a little bit of guesswork. But Jesus has already called Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're fishermen. And their business is in Capernaum. Now, my guess is they have probably crossed paths with Matthew before. Because, you see, Matthew would have taxed the fish. He would have taxed the boat. He would have taxed the nets. He would have taxed the mooring ropes. He'd have taxed everything about them. And they probably had a few conversations that weren't really good. Because this guy's not only is he hated by all society, but the business people surely didn't like him. And these four fishermen are sitting here, and they're fired up because they're following Jesus. And naturally, they should be following him because most of them hung out with John the Baptist, so at least they're with some spiritual guy. And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes to the most vilified man in the whole city, and he looks at him and says, hey, I want you to be on my team. 
I got a feeling that they're going, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> no. That says tax booth. That's not restaurant. That's tax booth. Can you not read? What was it written in? What are you thinking? You want him on our team? Oh, I don't want to have this guy on our team. He said, yeah, I want you to follow me. And you know what? You get from this, just from the fact that Jesus asked him to follow him, there's a truth here, and that is this. Jesus does not look at position and performance. He looks at the person and potential. Jesus does not look at the position and performance. He looks at the person and potential. Now, just look at that statement for a moment. He doesn't look at position. He doesn't look at, at, uh, at what you're doing for a living. He doesn't look at your performance as to whether you're gouging people or not gouging people, or whether you're treating people right or, not, or treating people wrong. As he walks by, what he's doing is he is looking at the individual person, and he also sees their potential. And he can see that you may be heading in a direction that's completely wrong, but you know what? He's not swayed by public opinion. He looks at you as an individual, and he says, you know what? There's potential for this individual, and I can bring them over here, and if they can ever get aligned with what God wants them to do, it'll radically change their life. And that's what he did with Matthew. And I thought it was so interesting that Matthew, the one that most people wish that God would pour out his severest judgment is the one who's getting an opportunity to walk arm in arm with the Son of God. That just makes absolutely no sense. But you know, this is the way the Lord works. Sometimes he chooses the most unlikely people of this world. He offers them forgiveness. He redeems them. He gives them a new heart. And then he uses them in remarkable ways. Uh, one of the examples that I thought of was Chuck Colson. Uh, Chuck Colson, many of you may know uh, of his background. Uh, Chuck Colson was a special counsel to President Richard Nixon from 1969 to 1973. He was called Nixon's hatchet man. And he put the fear into many people. And in fact, when he gives his testimony, he says, you could describe my life in these words. He says, I was secular, I was self-obsessed, and I was scary, <laughs> and he was scary. He's like the brightest guy on the block, and yet he's also vindictive, and he could cut you to shreds. He was the hatchet man. But you see, in 1973, something happened. And in 1973, he got introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he made a decision for Christ, which began to turn his life upside down. And just as he began to walk this walk of this Christian life, less than a year later in 1974, he was indicted as one of the Watergate Seven who were part of the Watergate cover-up back in 1972, before he'd made his decision for Christ. And he was the first one to be convicted, and he was sent to prison, and he went to Maxwell Prison in Montgomery, Alabama for seven months. And he said it was while he was in prison that God began to paint a picture for him for what he was prepared to do, and that was to minister to prisoners. And when he got out of prison, he began what is called Prison Fellowship. Now it's Prison Fellowship International, to where his ministry goes in and not only shares the gospel with prisoners, but they minister to the families of prisoners. And then when there's time for them to get out, they develop reentry plans for them to get back into society so that they can be useful and helpful and, and have a great life in society. All of that ministry came out of when he was there in prison. And in listening to his testimony, this is a statement that he made. 
He says, your right relationship with Jesus Christ and your obedience to him is the most important single thing in the world. And God will use it in ways that you can never imagine when you truly surrender to him. If Jesus looked at Matthew and he said, follow me, and if Chuck Colson was standing next to Jesus, I believe these are, this is the exact sentence he would have said to Matthew. You can never imagine the ways that God will use you if you'll just surrender to him. Most important is for you to be obedient. Well, that was the invitation that was given. And so then the second point is the unexpected acceptance. The unexpected acceptance to follow Jesus. Now, you just got to tell me, if you're sitting out there and let's say you're next in line to pay your taxes <laughs> and you and your buddies are standing there and all of a sudden this religious guy, Jesus of Nazareth, comes and says, Matthew, follow me. I'm sitting next to my buddy and go, <laughs> fat chance that'll happen. <laughs> you know what this guy's making right now? <laughs> hey, no way. Hey, where are you going? Uh, are you serious? You're going to accept this? And it says right here, he says, and leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And it just came out of the clear blue. And all of a sudden, he, he, he didn't hesitate. He got up and he walked away and followed him. And the way this word followed is, it's a, what we call, it's an active participle, which what it means, it means continuous ongoing action. It didn't mean that Matthew said, you know what, I'm going to take a week of vacation and give this thing a try. No. It meant he actively followed him, which means he says, I'm done here. And he got up and he followed Jesus. And when you look at this and you say, this is so unexpected, he was accepted. Why is it? It is unexpected due to the cost of Matthew's acceptance. It's unexpected due to the cost of Matthew's acceptance. Do you know what he's giving up? From his standpoint, he gave up his whole career. He gave up his business. He just walked away from it. And he said, I'm done. But you see, to me, he gave up even more than the fishermen or anybody else. Because, you know, you take all the fishermen and they said, hey, we left our nets and we followed Jesus. Well, what if this Jesus thing didn't work out? What could you do? Hey, we can go find some nets and we can find a boat and we can go back to fishing. But Matthew, he's toast. He's done. Once you walk away, there are other men standing in line that want your job. We can plug and play by the next day. We'll have somebody in your job. And you can't circle back around six months later and go to Herod and say, hey, I'd like to get, get my job back. No way. You're done. This is it. There's an old hymn that we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Many times our Chinese, when we, we do the video of their testimonies, that's the way they close it. They say, I've made that decision for Christ. And they always end it, no turning back. I love that tag. And this is what Matthew said. When he got up from his chair, he said, there's no turning back. It was so unexpected that he would even accept that invitation because of the cost that he had to pay. It is unbelievable. Now, I need to be straight with you. God is not asking all of us to leave our businesses to follow him. Perfect example we'll talk about next few weeks is a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was also a tax collector. And after Jesus intersected his life with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus continued to do his job, but he did it differently. He did it with character, and we'll talk about that. So he's not always asking you to leave your job, 
But anytime Jesus asks you to follow him, he is asking you to leave something behind. And he's asking you to leave the things that have prevented you from serving him, such as sensuality or carnality, materialism, toxic relationships. It could be money. It could be power. It could be prestige. It could be position. Because his desire is to be the Lord of our lives. His desire is to be first place in our life, in our home, in our school, in our work, and in our relationships, and in our social life. That's what he asked. Follow me. And whenever you follow him, you're going to leave something behind. And so why did Matthew do this? I've always wondered that. It just seemed like such, a, such an outlier there that some guy who's working at a tax booth, all of a sudden Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, follow me. He says, okay, I'm out of here. We don't know a lot about Matthew, but let me see if, we can, if I can piece some things together for you that can make this make even more sense. Matthew, Levi, whose name Matthew, is, um, wrote one of the four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read Matthew's gospel, he has more Old Testament quotes and references than any other gospel. So what do you assume from that? A lot of people assume that he had been a student of the Old Testament scriptures. He understood the law. He understood the scriptures. If I could take it a little bit further, somebody that knows it that well probably had perfect attendance buttons for synagogue. And when he was growing up, didn't miss a Saturday. He was there all the time. He probably had a mom and dad that would tell him the Old Testament stories and and talk about them and and talk about Moses and Abraham and Samson and all these other stories. And then he was reading this from himself. And so he had a great understanding of of the Old Testament. He, He knew all these things. And as he grew up, he had a knowledge of the things of God, but then something happened that turned. And I don't know what led up to it, but the only thing I do know for certain is that he put his name in and he put his bid in to become a tax collector, knowing that if he took this job, it would probably separate him from his family, separate him from other people, and always separate him from the synagogue that he had loved so much, but there was a lot of money in it, and there was power. And at some point in his life, he said, this is worth it. This is worth it. But I would have to believe, and this is just from years of living and have crossed paths with a lot of folks, is that what was invested early in his life now began to torture his soul because he knew that there were the things of God in there and he knew that he was doing things that he shouldn't be and and there's this battle that's going on. And so in the midst of all of this, he's taken this, this job there's probably this spiritual hunger that begins to develop with him, and he knows what he's doing is not right. But at this particular time, all of a sudden, there begins to be this groundswell of, we think the Messiah is coming soon. And there was this man, and a lot of people called him a crazy man, John the Baptist, that was out in the wilderness, and he's preaching forgiveness and repentance and that the Messiah is coming. And in Capernaum, which was a major city, where Matthew is doing business, he gets to rub shoulders with people that travel all over the area. 
And you know they'd have to talk about this John the Baptist. Man, I went and heard John the Baptist a couple weeks ago. That was powerful stuff. Talking about repentance and forgiveness. And he talks about the coming Messiah. And, and so this Jesus, this, or whoever this Messiah is that is coming. And so he hears those stories while he's doing his business. And then all of a sudden, Jesus began to reveal himself. And now people are walking around saying, hey, this man Jesus, that carpenter from Nazareth, seems to be the real deal, seems to be the Son of God, seems to be the Messiah. And then word came, hey, Jesus is coming to Capernaum, and now the chatter has really increased. And so all of a sudden, people are talking about who this Jesus is and what he's done. And now he's sitting at his tax booth, and he's just there on just any other work day. And the push of the crowd begins to come through, and he's hearing them talk about it. He says, you're not going to believe what just happened. Could you believe that? When they tore that roof down and dropped that man down there, and they dropped that man down there, and Jesus said he could forgive his sins, and a lot of people questioned. Then all of a sudden he said, hey, take up your bed and walk. He went out and he walked, and he joined his friends. They went skipping down the road. That was unbelievable. And so everyone's talking about it. And he's sitting there still doing business, hearing all of these things. In the midst of talking about this person, Jesus, here he comes around the corner, <laughs> that same Jesus of Nazareth. And he intently looks at him, and he says, follow me. I believe that there was such a spiritual hunger that was going on. There had been this battle that had been raging in his soul from the things that he knew as a youth and all these Old Testament scriptures and all he'd heard about this Messiah. It was building, building, building to a crescendo. And just as it was getting to that point, Jesus circles around and says, follow me. You didn't expect this. It's unexpected. But you know what? I showed up at just the right time. And here's my challenge and here's my invitation. Follow me. How unexpected can that be? And so when Jesus called him, he had enough faith to drop everything he was doing and follow him. And he knew inherent in that call there was a promise of forgiveness of his sins. And his soul had longed for this forgiveness. So he arose without hesitation and he devoted the rest of his life to following Christ. And I thought about the words of that song, Shadow Step. Light up the way of your heart. Move me like you do the mountains. Move me like you do the wind. And I will chase your voice through the dark. Fix my heart to yours. Ready for the unexpected. Ready for what you will do next. So take another step. I'm ready for the unexpected. Jesus says, follow me. Wow. What's interesting is there was another thing that was unexpected is he changed his name. You know, it was, here it was Levi, but we know him as, as Matthew. Some, some uh, commentators have said, well, you know that Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. When he first met Simon, he said, hey, this is Simon. He says, no, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you Peter, Okay. Now, see, a lot of you ladies don't know why guys have nicknames. We got it from Jesus. Uh, uh, you know, because Peter means the rock. Hey, I'm going to call you the rock. Yeah. And, and so you go around, and we're just trying to be Jesus. That's why we call guys different weird names, okay? And uh, so uh, who knows? I kid people. I said it was so difficult when I was in a fraternity uh, because everyone seemed to have a nickname. And what they do, they'd look at you, and they'd name you for what you look like. And, and so there was a guy named John, but he looked like a Freddy, okay? And there was a guy named Steve, but he looked like Ralph. And so when they, my parents came to the fraternity, you know, they'd say, hey, 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 John, hey, John, I want you to meet. Hey, Mom, Dad, this is Freddy. 
And they go, Danny, you miss me? Yeah. Hey, Steve, hey, hey, come here. This is Ralph uh, over well, this is kind of like Jesus. They say, hey, is that Simon? Hey, we call him the rock. All right. Is this Levi? No, we call him Matthew. It's interesting. You know what Matthew means? It means the gift of God. The gift of God. How ironic is that? The man who was taking from people has now got a name, which means he's giving to people. I'm giving you the gift of God. And so what Jesus sees is that we can become, even what, while we're lost in our sins, Jesus can already see what we can become. He saw Levi, a tax collector, but he saw him as Matthew, as a writer, an evangelist, and a collector of souls. He says, I saw the person and I saw the potential. And so no matter how ugly or scarred a person's life may be, Christ can make it into something beautiful for God. Now I know on the team, it had to be a lot of uh, tense moments because you got a tax collector with a bunch of people that hate him. But how cool was it when they traveled from city to city and they would enter into a city and, and, and if, I, if, if I could surmise this, my belief would be that Matthew would say, let's go find the tax collector in this town. And I believe that as he walked to town, he saw the guy sitting in the tax booth, and he walked over and shook his hand. And he said, hey, using that IRS form 400633? Yeah, man. And they began to do that old tax talk. And you, yeah, they used to do that. Now, let me tell you about Jesus. This guy took his life in the past, and now he's using it to be able to share the great gospel of Christ. Wouldn't that be cool? Man, you're walking with him. Nobody else wants to say anything to do with tax collectors. There goes Matthew. He's going to head over there. He's going to find them. He's the one guy that could rub shoulders with those guys and probably reach them. Now, I believe that every account that we share in this series hits us all, but I also believe it is also a narrow focus. And I think that there are people here in this worship center who you grew up like Matthew did. Hey, you grew up in religion or you grew up in a Christian home and uh, maybe you went to the vacation Bible schools or you went to Sunday school and you went to church and you were in Bible studies and, and that was so great in your childhood. And you enjoyed it as a youth and you got to do the retreats and do the choir, choir retreats and the mission trips and everything. And then you got off to college and you kind of got a little away from it. And then you graduated from college, you saw your career and you began to head that direction. And God was not only in the backseat, he's just completely out of the car. But it's like when you're getting ready to put your head on the pillow at night, there's just something that's not right. Career-wise, you may be where you thought you'd never be. Wow, you're so excited. And maybe you're the hit of all the parties and all those things. But there's something that's empty. That was Matthew. There was something that was empty. And there was a spiritual hunger. And unexpectedly, on just a typical work day, Jesus, the Son of God, came to his booth, looked him in the eyes, and said, follow me. He said, that's what I've been waiting for. I'm just going to tell you, there's some of you that walked in this service today. Maybe your first time to come in here. You may have been coming for a long time. And unexpectedly, this passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit has spoken into your heart, and you're saying, that's it. That's me. I need to follow him. And I just want to encourage you to do what Matthew did, and that is without hesitation said, I'm ready to follow him.
And today you can do that and follow him. So he made this decision. It was an unexpected uh, offer for him to come, and he accepted it. But then you move to the last part of this passage. And the last part of this passage is the unexpected invitation to a party. To a party. Yeah, you saw that. To the party uh, up there. It says in verse 29, it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house. So Matthew or Levi, he was not going to be a silent saint or he wasn't going to be a distant disciple, but he was going to be a fired up follower. And he was excited about this newfound uh, relationship with Jesus. So he invited his friends. And his friends are other tax collectors. And so he invites them, and it's like a double party. It's a retirement party for him, and I want to introduce you to who Jesus is. So he hosted his own retirement party, and he made Jesus the guest of honor. And he gives him this invitation, says, I want to throw a party in your honor. And as he wants to throw this party in his honor, here's the unexpected part. It's unexpected due to culturally inappropriate for a rabbi to accept. It's unexpected that he would invite Jesus to this party because culturally it would be inappropriate for a rabbi, which was Jesus, to accept. Because as a religious man, when you begin to have a meal with people that are unclean, it makes you unclean. And so you don't need that. And so tax collectors don't invite Pharisees, scribes, teachers, and rabbis to their parties. This was unique. He said, I'm hiring a big retirement party, and Jesus wants you to be the guest of honor, and I want you to come. And it says tax collectors and others. If you looked at Matthew chapter 9, where, they, where Matthew recounts the same story, he says tax collectors and sinners. Now, what sinners are is unclean people. It could be your uh, shepherds, your camel drivers, your leather workers. All of these people were considered unclean. In fact, it was just a motley crew of people that no respecting Jew would even come to this. I mean, nobody would come there. But if you look in the scripture, it says he made a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors, a large company. Either he was really, really popular or Jesus was a big draw. I think it's Jesus was a big draw. He said, I'm having a retirement party and Jesus Nazareth is gonna be at my party. I want you guys to come. And here's the unexpected, the unexpected acceptance of the invitation the unexpected acceptance of the invitation. No rabbi in their right mind, no Pharisee, no scribe, no teacher would ever accept an invitation from a tax collector to sit there and be in a party and to sit down and have dinner with people. Because when you do that, you are saying, we are equal, let's have fellowship together, I accept you as a brother. There's something about in that, that Middle Eastern culture of, of how honoring to have a meal in someone's house is. And there he's saying, no way, I'm ever going to do that with a tax collector. But he did. When I first heard that song, Shadow Step, the line that drew me into the song was at the beginning. And it says this, you met me at the sinner's table, unexpected. And I'm telling you, folks, when I heard that, it went right to this story. You met me at the sinner's table, unexpected. I want you to put yourself in, in the position of a tax collector. You can't even go to the synagogue. You can't offer sacrifices. It, you're, you're just unclean. 
Now, Jesus all of a sudden is this amazing religious teacher, and you'd like to hear him, and you could at a distance. You could stand in a crowd, and maybe you could, get a, could see him a little bit and hear what he had to say. But there would never be a chance that you could have a one-on-one with him, much less have dinner with him or lunch. And now, now, you've been invited to a party to where when they go to these parties, you know, they, they recline on the tables, I mean, kind on the, um, uh, on the sofas and stuff. I'm not going to recline, I'll fall asleep. Uh, but, you know, they'll they recline there and they're just sitting back and they're real casual and they've got the table there and they've got the food there and they're just talking. They're just talking. A tax collector talking to the Son of God. A religious man. Are you kidding me? He even embraced me when I came in. He even asked me what my name was, and he remembered what my name was. He began to talk to me about my business and what was going on, and began to talk about life, and began to talk about other things. This could have never happened. Totally unexpected. You met me at the sinner's table. He met us at the sinner's table. He met us right where we were. And we were undeserving of anything that Jesus could give us. But he met us. And for every person here who's made a decision for Christ, you understand that. He met you at the center. He met you right where you were. And he embraced you and said, I've died on the cross. I've paid for your sins. I've risen from the dead. I've conquered sin. I've conquered death. And I want you to be a part of my family. I want to adopt you into my family. And you see, this is amazing that he accepted that invitation. And so, in the midst of all of this, while everything's doing great, and Jesus and his disciples are in the middle with Matthew and all these tax collectors, the Pharisees are on the outside looking in, and they are hot. Look what it says in verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, so they probably, some of the disciples came out, they brought the disciples out, and they said, listen, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you do this? You know, it's against every rule that we have. Why are you doing this? Now, they criticized them for consorting with the rabble. And let me make a statement here so I can be really clear on this. Because sometimes when you see this story, people take it and they apply it in a different way. I want you to remember this. The Pharisees were not upset over the particulars of the menu, but the people at the party. They were not upset at the menu, what was being served, what, was being, what they were serving for people to eat or drink. They were upset about the people at the party. And they said, you do not hang around with people like this. They had nothing to say about what was taking place at the party. Now, Reason I say that, to draw the line, (laughs) because someone here could say, hey, I've been invited to a keg party where it's going to be a drunken orgy and we're going to have drugs, but according to Luke 5, I'm supposed to go. No, not at all. They said nothing about that. What they were focusing in was on the people, and they were saying, you don't need to be with those kind of people. And now... So we just need to make sure we don't begin to justify this and say, oh, gosh, I'm going to go to a place with a bunch of hedonistic stuff and, and be the light of Jesus. No, it just says you don't need to, in that instance, go to that party. But some of those people, you might want to cross paths with them. 
and maybe share the gospel with them. Well, for here, when the Jews would sit down, it was an expression of spiritual fellowship. But according to the Pharisees, not everybody was eligible to have that sort of spiritual fellowship. There were groups of people that were unclean, and those are the people that were at that house. And so for you as the disciples, you don't need to be there. And they're chewing on them. Now, just put yourself as a disciple. My goodness, I'm following this guy. We just came back from the house. So they tore down the roof, and, and, and they, we saw this incredible miracle take place, and everybody's high-fiving us. Aren't you lucky to be with Jesus? And then he takes a tax collector and puts him on our team. What are you thinking? And then we get an invited to come to a tax collector's house. Do you think that those fishermen had ever eaten with a tax collector before? Probably not, and for surely not in a tax collector's house. And it's not just one. It's a bunch of them. We're surrounded by tax collectors. This is the unclean of the unclean. And so I'm trying to do what Jesus says, and now these guys are like, come on, come on, come on. And then all the religious guys say, come out here. What are you doing being in that house? Sheesh, I'm going back to fishing. This is crazy. But you know what's so great? Is that Jesus didn't leave them, all, leave them on their own. He didn't let the disciples answer the question. He steps out and he answers the question. Look what he says. He comes back and he's answered them. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And see, what he's saying is we are not called to stand somewhere off with the Pharisees. We are called to sit down with sinners so that we can share the gospel. We are not called to stand somewhere off with the Pharisees, but we are called to sit down with sinners so that we can share the gospel. Let's leave that up there for a moment. When Jesus answered this question, he says, yes, I am sitting with these sinners. But I'm far from being contaminated by their sin. I am restoring them to righteousness. He says, I have come to call those who knew they were sinners. I have not come to call those who think that they are righteous. You guys think you're righteous, but you're not. And so my call is not to come and browbeat the self-righteous. What I do is I like to come to those that are the downtrodden, the people that are broken, the people that are hurting, the people that know that they need something more. And he said, that's who I've come to. He said, a doctor doesn't go to the people who think they're well. The doctor or the physician goes to those who are sick. And then he goes and he gives them a remedy for them to overcome that sickness. We all have a sickness. It's called sin. And because of that sickness, we will die. And we're going to die physically, but then the even worse is we'll die spiritually. And he says, I can give you a cure. He says, physically, our bodies are all gonna wear out one day and we're gonna step into eternity. But I can provide the cure so you can spend eternity with God in heaven rather than being separated from him for eternity. And it is by accepting the gift of Christ who goes to the cross and dies for our sins and pays that penalty. He dies the death that we were supposed to die. And then he steps before you and he says, if you receive this gift, then you can spend eternity with God. We met him at the sinner's table. That's where they were, and that's where all of us are. And for those of you that are not members of this church, if I can just say, say something to you, that you may have come in, and sometimes when people walk into a church like this, and it's a beautiful building, and people are dressed nice, and most of them have smiles on their faces, and... Um, uh, seem to be real happy, and, and, and you walk through these doors and you say, this is the church of the people who've got it all together. 
This is the church of people who've really got no problems and everything's going great. Well, I can attest to you that that is just about 100% wrong. And the reason I know that is that those connection cards that I talked to you about and I want you to write your prayer request on there, when those connection cards are turned in, unless I'm out of town on a Monday, I am the first minister to receive those and I go through every single one of them. And it breaks my heart. And not everybody fills a card out, so it's just a small sampling of, of what our, our congregation is about. People are walking through some unbelievable, difficult waters. But you see, they are sinners. We all are sinners. We've been beat down, broken down. But yet we know that there is a Savior that loves us, and that when he loves us and we receive and we become a part of his family and he gives us the strength necessary to navigate through those waters. And as we navigate through those waters, he begins to show more of himself than we would have ever seen and we just build in our love for him. It doesn't mean that all the circumstances of life always get better. Sometimes they get worse and then sometimes they get better. But there is one constant and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And when he says, follow me, you can follow him. And so that's really your final point, and that is the unexpected Jesus calls you to repent and to follow him. He calls you to repent and to follow him. A repentant heart is one that is open, not closed to God. And the physician seeks to call people who see themselves honestly as they are, sinners in need of a Savior. And he calls us to that. And he wants you to repent of your sin, and he wants you to follow him. For some of you, it means for the first time ever to receive Christ as Savior to ask him to come into your heart and then to follow him. For others of you, you're already believers in Christ, but yet your life has been heading in a difficult, different direction. And he is there unexpectedly today on this Sunday morning in February is saying, follow me. Come on, you've been doing it on your own and it's not taking you in a good direction. Follow me. And when you follow me, then all of a sudden, you began to put your eyes on the unexpected and you began to be moved like the mountains and moved like the wind and God's spirit begins to move you. And all of a sudden you're at that point where you look up at God and you say, what's that next step, God? I want to follow you and see where that next step takes us. The unexpected Jesus is calling you today. It's my prayer that you would answer that call and respond. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you call us, and we thank you that you love us. And Father, and even at the most unexpected times and places, you are there for us. And may we be reminded today that no one is so far from you that you cannot bring them into your family. And so I pray for the people right here that are in this worship center. And Lord, as your Holy Spirit begins to speak to their heart, that there can be decisions that they make. Some decisions may be after the service is over to come down and talk to our staff, or it may be that they make that commitment right there. And then they walk through those doors and they say, God, it's a new day. It's a new walk with you. I pray that you speak to our hearts. Give us that call and help us to respond to that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.